The title of the message is called A People of Presence. If you haven't been with us the past week plus, you've been missing out, first of all, humbly. There is a certain level of healthy FOMO in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. I don't want to miss out on a move of God. I don't want to miss out on an outpouring of the Spirit. I don't want to miss out on witnessing bodies raised and demons coming out and minds healed. Marriages restored. Children being raised up. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to be found sleeping. Whether it's literal in my bed or whether it's spiritually asleep. Jesus rebukes, I think it's the church of Sardis in Revelation, and he says, you have the appearance of being alive, but you're dead. He says, wake up. Sometimes we can be dead by simply being asleep. And I know that this is like a pull on my heart of the, of the flesh continually for me to just to hit the snooze button, to hit the coast button in my life. To say it's enough, I've had enough, to stop contending for more. But we belong to an infinite Father. We belong to an infinite Savior and Lord. And no matter how much we think we have of Him, there is an infinite ocean more of Him to be beheld, to be tasted, to be seen, to be experienced. There is no end to Him. And so when I become bored with His presence, it's an issue with me. It's not an issue with Him. He is majestic. He is magnificent. He is transcendent. Every quality of who He is 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 unending. And so I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to be found sleeping or dead and miss out on a move of God. And I'm telling you, this past week has been powerful in the Lord. If you haven't been with us, we had a powerful service last Sunday. We had a powerful prayer meeting. Was that Monday? Monday. We had a powerful, these are, Monday was spontaneous. Tuesday, Lance Johnson came in. That was spontaneous. Wednesday, we had another spontaneous meeting. And God is doing something in this body, in this hour. I believe it with all of my heart. And I'm telling you that it is a consensus among leadership as we we have sought the Lord, as we've discussed among ourselves, that we believe that the Lord Jesus wants to take this body from visitation to habitation. That the Lord Jesus wants to take us from visitation to habitation. Visitation is nice. It's a season or a time or an instant of God doing something, but it's momentary. It's in and out. If I come visit at your house, I'm in your presence, you're in my presence, but it's a visit. I leave eventually. A habitation is, I'm moving in, and I believe God wants to move in. I believe God wants to take us to a habitation which is a continual dwelling, a continual presence, a continual residence. And we, there was prophetic whisperings of it this morning throughout the worship, throughout the songs, throughout the words that went forth that God wants to move in. And listen, I am telling us right now that this move, this habitation that God wants to do, if our thinking of it is limited to Sunday mornings or these walls, then that shows and reveals to us the extent of church culture we still have in our lives. When we limit the presence of God to a a, a scheduled meeting on a Sunday morning, when we limit worship to a scheduled, uh, however long the time period is on a Sunday morning, we just block God out of His opportunity to move in us and through us the rest of our week. But kingdom culture is a habitation lifestyle. 
It is a lifestyle of every individual in this room saying, I have to be a people of presence. I have to be a person of presence. That literally, we would be a people who are obsessed and possessed with the presence of God, with the Word of God, with fasting and with praying, and that genuinely, we would be like, God, you are my food. Jesus said in John, in John 4, He says, His disciples like he feeds, does he? No, he, it's the woman at the well, and he's coming out, and 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 the disciples are like, "You hungry?" He's like, "No, I I've, I've eaten, I've had bread," and they're like, "You have bread that we didn't know about? What are you talking about, Jesus?" And he said, "My bread is to do the will of the Father and accomplish all the work that He has for me." But being, going from visitation to habitation is about becoming a people of presence. It is about becoming obsessed with the face of God. That's what the Hebrew word means in the Old Testament. When it says presence, it's the same thing as face. So when, so when Adam and Eve fall, and God comes looking, and it says that they hid themselves from the presence of God. It's they hid themselves from the face of the Father. Jesus, help us, Lord. Everything revolves around the presence of God. Do you have those pictures, those slides up? You just show those. So to describe a habitation, I'm going to break down the reason why God formed all the tribes around this. And I'm just going to break this down. I'm just kidding. It would be horrible. No, look at the way the people of God are oriented. This is the tabernacle of Moses. This is the people traveling. What do you notice? What is in the center of the people? All the tribes are surrounded. They're blocked off by their... their uh, they're tribes. But what is in the middle? It's the Ark of the Covenant. It is the presence of God. Go to the next slide. This is the tribal allotment for Israel when they went into the land. It's hard to see. I should have put like a little red arrow. Jerusalem is right in the center. What's in Jerusalem? The temple. The presence of God. Everything that God intended to set up was keyed in on and obsessed with and positioned around His presence because without His presence, we have nothing. Will you turn with me to Revelation? How are you guys doing? Is this okay? Revelation. I don't know how I'm going to do this because I'm asking you to put your finger here and uh, I'm holding the microphone. All right, put your finger there. Put your finger there. Don't don't lose that spot. Now go to Genesis one one. Oh Jesus, <clears throat> we love you, Lord. Everybody there. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Just stop right there. Yes, God created. Yes, God went on to do many amazing things. But what is it? In the beginning, God. Now go back to Revelation. Revelation 20. He who testifies to these things says... Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So from beginning of the very first verse in Scripture to the last two verses of Scripture, what do we have? It's the presence of God and every single thing in between is the presence of God. This is, I believe, the entire theme of the Scripture. Is God's presence. God's presence working. 
God's presence moving. God's presence creating. God's presence dwelling with men. God's presence working in and through men. God God longed to be known so much that He created in the first place and He longed so much for His presence to dwell with and among men that His glory would be magnified in the earth that He then sent His one and only Son, the presence of God, to redeem all humanity, all mankind, to reveal His heart for us and to us and to be offered as a sacrifice on the cross to be risen, to ascend, and to send His Spirit so that we could be filled with the indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is all about the presence. Are you guys following me? Jesus. It's all about the presence. Jesus, thank you, Father. And we know this. Like, we know that this is the right answer in our minds. But when I evaluate my own life and take inventory, I am telling you, I am under so much conviction in my life of how I spend my time. Not that I'm wasting it, but it's like, am I optimizing it with the presence of God? Am I truly abiding in the vine every single day of my life? Am I truly resting in the power of the Holy Spirit and keeping in step and walking with the Spirit every day of my life? Or am I more so running around like a chicken with my head cut off thinking I'm being productive, but I'm just busy. Without the presence of God, we're just busy and we have the appearance of being productive, but we're just busy. We need the pre- see the uh, being a people of presence is about a lifestyle of worship and a lifestyle of sacrifice and a lifestyle of presence. That means that it, when I go home today, that I am aware of his presence. What is it? Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. How often, I'm not saying that we sit in a prayer closet in the secret place 24-7 because we have kids, we have jobs, we have places to go. But we can practice the presence as we go. We can walk in the Spirit as we go. And to be honest with you, we have as much of God as we want. And that breaks my heart because I truly feel like I have so little. Like, and we should always feel like that because of his infiniteness, of his unendingness. And that should stir up a hunger in us to never give in, to never stop pursuing, to live our life with such an intensity that Paul likens it to training for the Olympics. How would we live our lives if for we had one event in four years from now and I spend the next four years preparing for that event? But God, but Paul writes and says, they train for an earthly wreath or prize, but we an eternal one. How much more? Jill read it this morning that we should not get entangled with civilian affairs. So Jesus came and he died. And he, it says when he died that the, died, that the veil was torn. That the, the, the veil in the temple from the most holy place to the holy of holies was torn. That there's no separation. That the access to the Father is available to the sons and daughters. Is that right? Is that the Bible? Please, someone. So then the question becomes, if, we're, if, if God is calling us to be a people of presence and to go from visitation to habitation, what is holding us back? If Jesus has made a way by his torn flesh and he rent the veil in two, which I think was like a foot, a foot thick, maybe more. Some, someone who knows their Bible or scholarship better than me, tell, tell me. But it, it was thick. It didn't just happen. So the way was made. Did Jesus say that he defeated the works of the devil? So is God keeping us from his presence? Is the enemy keeping us from his presence? Jesus. So then what's the answer? We are the answer. 
we are the hindrance to his presence. We are the reason we don't have more of him. And so I want to I go to Exodus 33, verse 12. This is a critical moment for the nation of Israel. In Exodus 19, God communicates his heart that he wants his people to be a people of his own possession. Or another, my footnote in there says, a people of of special treasure. That God wants a people of his own possession. That God wants to make Israel a nation in a kingdom of priests unto him. And then in Exodus, Exodus 29, God says, I'll just back up and read it real quick. I don't want to misquote the word of God. Exodus 29, 44. Sorry, let's start in 45. 29.45, I will dwell among the sons of Israel, and I will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Do we see the heart of God? to dwell among humanity, to be with his people and his creation. And then going forward to Exodus chapter 33, the nation is at a critical point. Moses was up on the mountain receiving instructions for the tabernacle. God says, go down there. They made an altar of a golden calf and they're worshiping it. They've already strayed in their hearts, even though the first two commandments I gave them, which they said that they would agree to was have no other gods before me and make no images of, of graven things. So God is, so, so Moses is on the mountain receiving the instructions and the pattern from God himself so that he would come and dwell with them. And, man, and before that, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then while they're up there, they're like, we don't know what's going on with this Moses guy. We need something we can see, something we can feel, something we can touch, something that will gratify ourselves and our, the, the, the empty longings of our hearts. And so what they do is they take the gold earrings off And they throw it in the fire and Aaron, who's supposed to be a leader, a man of God, like succumbs to them and and takes the gold and fashions and forms this golden calf and they start worshiping it. Moses comes down the mountain. He like, he breaks the, the tablets. He grinds up the calf into dust. He puts it in the water and he makes them all drink it. He tells the Levites, or he, he, he says to the people, he says, whoever is for the Lord your God today, come here. And the Levites came, and the Levites came, and they slaughtered everybody who didn't come with them. Their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters. They spared no one and nothing. Gosh, that is intense. You guys know that the Levitical law punishment for a disobedient son is to stone him to death? The holiness of God is, is, is important to him. I'm not saying we should stone our children. We're under the new covenant, amen, right? Okay. But this is the intensity. It, even though it's done away with in law and in letter, in spirit and in heart, it should be the same for us. We should have a level of intensity that would say, I am going to slaughter everything that is idolatrous in my life that will come in the way of the presence and the plan and the purposes of God in my life. And you know what Jesus says? He says the same thing. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. So if it's not old covenant, is it new covenant? The intensity. Jesus. I submit this all to you guys. Please, take and search the scriptures for yourselves. I'm preaching to myself this morning. 
One of the reasons I am so intense, I, I mean, I think you guys would probably think I'm an intense person. Like, I realize it. Like, but one of the reasons I'm so intense is because it's like, if I don't have him, I am so screwed. I don't know a better word. I'm sorry, Mitchell. <laughs> he tells me I shouldn't say sucks and stuff, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know. I just, I'm sorry. Lord, help me think of better words that are, I don't know. Jesus. No, but I, the intensity that rises within me is not because I'm some special anointed man of God. It's because I am nothing without Him. I know who I am in the flesh. I know that what I am capable of. I am capable of anything at any moment in time. I'm not telling you that there's a bunch of stuff in my life and I'm on the brink of disaster. Please, God. But if long enough there's small compromises in my life that compound, anybody's possible. Anything is possible for anyone. So where was I? <clears throat> so the Levites, thank you guys for helping me. I asked you for your help in starting out. You guys are doing a good job. They slaughter Everybody. And then Moses, at the end of Deuteronomy, before they're going into the land, he blesses the tribe of Israel because they did that. Because of their consecration to the Lord, that they would not spare their own mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. I'm not saying we should kill our family. Please hear my heart this morning. But whatever is coming in the way of the presence of God and the more of God, we have to get rid of it. We have to take inventory of it. And I am not saying this morning, I am not saying this morning that we have to clean ourselves up and pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off before we come to God. I am not saying that whatsoever. God has called us by His new covenant, according to Romans 12.1, to be what, people? 12.1 and 2. Living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. So we're not just coming to God with bulls and goats and rams. We're coming to God with our lives to surrender all to Him. But it says in Psalm 51, it says, what is the sacrifices of God? is a broken spirit, is a humble and a contrite heart. Or the NET says, a humble and repentant heart. So a part of our coming to God with all of our junk, that's a part of being a living sacrifice of saying, God, I need you. I am desperate for you. We don't, that's not a hindrance to him. If we're coming to submit it at his feet, and actually God will use that and turn it around for his good. Because he restores and he redeems, amen? So if God wants a humble and a repentant heart, this is a light, guys. Okay, so this is not a formula for life. In other words, it's like, okay, today I'm going to have a humble and contrite heart and I come to him and now I'm good. No, a humble and a broken spirit before him, a repentant heart before him, a desperate and hungry heart for, before him is a lifestyle. It's every single day of our lives, living a lifestyle of repentance. Because if we think that we ever arrive, we are in grave danger. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I buffet my body, I make it my slave after I preach, in order that I might not be a hypocrite. That's a paraphrase. Apparently, Paul is saying, I was susceptible to being and doing the very things I was preaching again. And so I beat, buffet my body. I beat it black and blue and make it my slave. That way I don't become disqualified. So we have to come to him with a broken and a contrite heart. That is part of uh, being a people of presence. I believe there's three important things to being a people of presence. And I'm not going to get into all of them this morning because I don't, I don't have notes. <laughs> so... I don't know. But these are the things that I believe God is after for being a people of presence. To be a people of presence, we have to be a people of sacrifice. 
To be a people of presence, we have to be a people of praise. Psalm says, <laughs> Psalm 22.3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So to be a habitation for God, to be a people of presence, we must be given it. We must give him a lot of praise. And that's a lifestyle, guys. Again, if, to the extent that we think of these things in a, in a Sunday morning altar lens or in a church building lens is the extent that we still have church culture in our lives. Kingdom culture is lifestyle culture. A people of sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice, a broken and contrite heart before him, a humble and repentant heart for him. That doesn't mean that God still doesn't want other sacrifices in our lives, by the way. That's not what David meant, because David goes on and writes. He says, then I will offer uh, bulls and goats to you. Keep reading in, in Psalm 51. You should go there and read that. He's not saying, he's, because what God is getting after is, I don't want a people who are perfunctory and religious. I don't want people who are offering sacrifices to me willy-nilly just to say they did it and to check the box and to meet the status quo and to go through the motions of Christianity. No, I want a broken and contrite heart, a humble and a repentant heart, because when I have that, then it will be a genuine sacrifice that follows. It will be a genuine laid-down life that follows. It will be a genuine travail. It will be a, a, a genuine offering. It will be a genuine serving in the classrooms. It will be a genuine uh, 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 giving up of your business to the whatever the God is asking us to do. So to be, be a people of presence, we have to be a people of sacrifice. To be a people of presence, we have to be a people of praise. We enter his gates with and his courts with and Psalm 22, 3, he inhabits the praises of his people. This is not, again, it's, it's, it's a heart lifestyle laid down that overflows with gratitude for the cross and the debt that Jesus paid. If I, I, guys, I am so much more bent to complaining and grumbling and groaning than I am to thanksgiving. Am I the only one? A people of praise. And then finally, I believe to be a people of presence, we have to be a people of prayer. God, God himself, Jesus, comes to the temple. He turns over the tables. He says, this is not going to be a house of business. It's not going to be a den of robbers. But this, my father's house, is intended to be what? A house of prayer. This house is intended to be a house of prayer. A house of intercession. And again, it's not corporate only. The, to the extent, we will only have a manifestation corporately to the extent that there's a manifestation individually of the lives that are here. We are living stones. This is a living house. We are a living body. Every joint supply. And so to be a house of prayer, yeah, we want to be a house of prayer corporately. But in the new covenant, who and what is the house of God? Is my body a temple of the Holy Spirit? Is your body a temple of the Holy Spirit? Is our bodies collectively the temple of the living God in the earth? So are we individually supposed to be a house of prayer? Man, this convicts my life. Am I, can I consider my body, my life a house of prayer? A living, breathing, moving, intercessory house of prayer unto God? Jeez. So we need these three things. A lifestyle of sacrifice. And I believe a lifestyle of sacrifice is one that wants to pay the price. So Jesus paid the price for us on the cross to have re a reunited fellowship with the Father, to be clean, to be forgiven, to have access. And yet we're still called to be living sacrifices. The, the, Jesus paid the price and the sacrifice on the cross that we never could so that we could actually then live a life of sacrifice. Are you guys with me? But I believe that a life of sacrifice is not one that is just willing to pay the price. Is one that wants to pay the price. Where are you getting that from, brother, in the scriptures? Be biblical for me. Okay. The end of Samuel, 2 Samuel, the last chapter. I don't know how many chapters are in that 
book. I should. I don't know what verse it's in. I should know that. But I don't have any notes up here with me. Lord, hide your word in my heart, God. Make me a better Bible scholar. Second Samuel, the very last chapter, David is exemplifying for us a lifestyle of repentance because he takes the census and he's not supposed to. And he comes to the threshing floor. God takes, tells him to go to the threshing floor and offer sacrifice. And he gets to the, this other guy's flesh, threshing floor. His, it's somebody else's. It's not David's. And David comes there, and the guy bows before him and says, My king, what can I do for you? And David says, I need the threshing floor, and I need to offer sacrifice. And the guy says, Take it all. It's yours. The threshing floor, the altar, the sacrifice, the lambs, the animals, everything that you need, it's yours. Take it. And what is David's response? He says, I will not give to God what costs me nothing. I will not sacrifice what costs me nothing. And so what does it cost us? It costs us our lives. And so when we, we have to answer the question, am I willing to lay down everything in my life for him? It costs us our lives. Jesus says, if you love your life, you will lose it. But if you hate your life, you'll gain it. Do we hate our lives this morning? I hate my life. <laughs> Anybody else? I hate my life apart from God. I hope you guys are hearing my heart this morning. I'm preaching to myself, okay? But here's the deal. Sacrifice and our lives laid down. And the price that it costs us, which is everything, is actually nothing. Because when we're beholding Jesus and we see his glory and we see his magnificent magnificence and we see who he is in his person, in his character, in his nature, who he is to us, his faithfulness, his kindness, his mercy, his goodness, is that enough for us? When we see that and that he purchased us for himself that we could dwell with him is dwelling enough or do we have to have something else outside of him to satisfy us is he enough for us and so when I see what I gain in him the cost and the sacrifice of my entire life on this earth which is but a vapor is so small it's so nothing that I just want to throw it on him Are you guys following me? Glory to Jesus. Well, I was in Exodus 33. We come to him. We come to him with all of our stuff. That's part of being a living sacrifice is that we come and we give everything to him. And it's a trade of our brokenness and nothingness for all of him. It's pretty great. It's pretty awesome. And so Exodus 33. This is, I believe that in, in, a, in a part, prophetically, this is where we're at. As a body, Exodus 33, 12, Moses is after the, after the golden calf is uh, uh, interceding for Israel. Because God says, I'm not going with you anymore. God says in chapter, uh, I think it's 33 or, or uh, 32, just before this, he says, I'll send an angel before you. And the angel will go with you, and the angel will drive out the other nations. But if I'm with you, I might kill you all. That's what the Bible says. Please read it. I'm not making this up. Please. So Moses is interceding. And he says, no, no, let's read it. Then Moses said to the Lord, see you. Say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight, 
consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? What is the distinguishing factor of anybody on the earth? It's the presence of God. We don't look, we will look like the world without his presence. If we go without his presence from this place, we have nothing to distinguish us. It's been prophesied over this body. This is outside voices that have come here that that know a little bit, but not everything. It's been prophesied to this body that we would be a burning bush to this community, that we, that God would send an earthquake to Hendricks County, that we would be a catalyst for change in this city and in this region. That there's been visions of doors being blown off the front of this building of the presence of God that would go out into this city and into the region. But if his presence doesn't come with us, none of that matters. None of it matters. His presence is all that matters. And so the personal application. I'm going back to what is the hindrance of his presence? individually and collectively, what is it? It's us. We are the problem. We are the problem. Am I, am I telling lies this morning? We have to get out of our own way. Lord, help me communicate this. <clears throat> we have to get out of the way. So we have to deal with our heart that is like Adam's heart. We have to deal with our heart that is like Cain's heart. We have to deal with our heart that is like Jacob's heart. We have to deal with our heart. I'm missing one. I don't have my notes. We have to deal with our hearts that are like the Pharisees. We have to deal with our hearts that are like Adam's, that hides and runs from the presence of God. We have to deal with our hearts that are so full of shame that when we hear the voice of him, we don't just hear something, we hear him, and we run, and we hide. It says that they heard the sound of him. They knew who it was, and they still hid from the presence of the living God. Guys, I'm telling you, there's good news that we don't have, that by the blood of Jesus Christ, this is canceled. We don't have to live like this, but we have to believe it and receive it and allow it to nourish our hearts and our minds. We have to deal with our hearts that are hiding from his presence, that are hiding from God dealing with us. And we have to deal with our hearts that when God comes to deal with us, we do this. Uh, the woman, the, the woman that, that you gave me. See, pride always points the finger. It's the devil. It's the warfare. It's the other people. It's the region. It's the principalities and the powers. Pride points the finger. Humility points the finger this way. And takes responsibility and allows their pride to be shattered and broken and offered as a sacrifice unto God. We got to deal with our heart like Cain. That it says that Cain murdered his brother. How many murderers do we have in the house this morning? Please, everybody in the room, raise your hand. Although we might not have ever taken something and killed another person in this life, do you know what Jesus defined as murder? In Matthew chapter 5, 6, 5, 6, 5, it's 5. Five, six, five, six, fifty-six, sixty-five. Matthew chapter five. He says, "If you're even angry with your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder." And then what happened? What was the consequence? It says that without the he. It says that 
that Cain went out. He was a wanderer and a vagrant. He was, he was homeless, essentially. He says, if I go out from your presence, I'll be a wanderer. I'll be a vagrant. I'll be without your presence. And it says that he went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord to the land of Nod. What does Nod mean? The land of wandering. Without the presence of God, we are left to spiritual homelessness that leads to going nowhere and going in circles and going who knows where. And what leads to the wandering is our own hearts that has issues with other people in this body or in our lives. And, and, and there's jealousy and there's offense and there's anger and there's hatred. Man, I felt like the Lord dropped something in my heart this morning. And I believe it's from Him, but I'll submit it. And I believe that jealousy is a form of ambicontemptuousness. Jealousy is a form of ambi contemptuousness. What do I mean? There's three kinds of contempt. Contempt is hatred. Contempt is hatred. There's three kinds of contempt. There's self-contempt, there's others' contempt, and there's God-contempt. And when I'm jealous towards somebody else, I hate that person because God gave them what I don't have. I hate myself because I don't have what they have, and I view what they have as better than what I have. And I hate God for not giving it to me and giving it to them instead. Man, this stuff wrecks me because I have lived a jealous life. I used to be jealous of Paul Johnson. I was on staff here for a year and a half, and it was a disaster because of me. And when I had to step away, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to blame everybody else. And it was I was the problem. I was jealous of Paul because of the confidence that he carried, because of the gifting and the grace. I don't need to be Paul. I've repented to multiple people in this church for jealousy. And this is a part of life. And you know, what, you know what Jesus said, taking it back? If you even have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've murdered him. And so if you find yourself at the altar with your sacrifice, if you find yourself there, go make it right. So we have to deal with our hearts that are like Cain's. We have to deal with our hearts like Jacob that was ignorant of the presence of God. He said, God must have been in this place, but I did not know it. But what was his response? Once there was an illumination, once there was a realization, once he became a spiritually awakened to the reality of the presence of God, he constructed a stone and anointed it with oil and said, this is the house of God, Bethel. When I was a young believer, I have no idea what time it is. <clears throat> I didn't wear a watch today. <clears throat> um, when I was a young believer and I, I started going to a spirit-filled church, the, the worship would happen and there would be like these lulls in worship. Like, you know, from between song to song. It's like, what's going on here? What are we doing? Where's the next song? These people are doing too much. These people are trying too hard. And I had a spirit of McCall that would judge and criticize other people's worship that said they're doing it to be seen. They're doing it to whatever. And, you know, we know about McCall in the Bible that she was barren the rest of her days. So we need to be careful of our spirit of criticism because I believe it'll leave us spiritually barren. So I would judge, but then it's like, but then I was like, you know, I was a young believer and those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And those are the worshipers that God is looking for. You know that God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I started to become like, hey, like the presence of God and like becoming aware of it. And so I want to encourage us that if we're ignorant, like this morning, did anybody else feel the presence of God here this morning? Was it thick, man? And there was those lulls and Taylor's like, we're not going anywhere. Let's wait on the Lord. Do we know how to do that? Do we become, are we able to, to exercise our spiritual muscles to grow in our awareness capacity of his presence? Are we willing to grow our endurance of waiting on the Lord? See, the Israelites, when Moses, when, when they were waiting on Moses to come back, they didn't have much endurance. They said, I don't know what's going on with this guy. Let's worship idols instead. So God wants to deal with our ignorance of his presence. He wants us to be spiritually aware of his presence. God wants us to feel his nearness. 
And there is nowhere we can go from his presence. That's Psalm 139. So something the Lord spoke to me when I was a young believer that has never left me is that his presence is present. His presence is present. That we want experiential knowledge of him in our lives. We want to know him and experience him. And I would always associate that with just an encounter in the worship service in an altar. But God said, no, experiential knowledge is about knowing me in all of life's experiences. Experiential knowledge is about knowing me in all of life's experiences. What does that mean? Is that in everything I do and everywhere I go, I can yield and submit and invite God into what I'm doing and encounter him in whatever I'm doing. There are different measures. There are different portions. As Dr. Joe Davis said when he's here, there's different densities, of course. And we have to deal with our hearts that are like the Pharisees, which is the religious spirit that just completely rejects the presence of God. It just says it costs too much. This is outside the box of what I'm familiar with, of what I've seen, what I've read about. A rational mind will reject the presence of God. And they, and they ultimately crucified God. It was God in the flesh. It says in John 1 that he came to those who were his. He came to the planet he created, and they rejected him. Can you imagine coming to your own home and getting kicked out? We have to have his presence. We have to have his presence. Taylor, will you come up here? We have to have a heart like Moses that says, if your presence doesn't go, I don't want to move. They were led by the pillar of fire and cloud. They didn't move unless the presence moved. We must have a heart like David who says, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For what purpose? I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Would you guys stand with me? I believe that there are four different kinds of people in the house of God. Please hang with me for a couple more minutes. I believe there are four different kinds of people in the house of God. The first category of people are those who go in and out of his house. They're those who have such a strong pull of the world on them, but they are marked and they know that there's something in them that God is real but they go in and out. This might be days, this might be seasons, but they're in and out of the house of God. The second category is those that remain in the outer courts. They believe, they actually, they don't do this in reality, but by remaining in the outer courts, they actually hang back up the veil that Jesus tore because there's no more outer courts. They, they are, they are uh, 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 stricken with shame. They see the things of God. They see the movings of God, the workings of God. They see other people having encounters with God. And they themselves even long for those very things. But there's a lie that they believe and the shame that they carry that says, I can't do that. That's not for me. That person's special. That person's anointed so they stay in the outer courts. And then there's a third category that are those who come to God's house for what they can get from Him and how they can meet their needs from Him. The power, the authority, which we want all those things, but it's a, it's a byproduct of beholding Him. They come to that, this is a Simon the sorcerer spirit. How much does that cost? I want that kind of power. These are those who are transactional in the house of God to get the glory for themselves. And then there's the last category. There's the last kind of people, a Davidic people who just says this one thing, this one thing, this one thing I ask, 
this one thing I seek. Saints, are we a people of one thing this morning? Are we a people who ask one thing from God? I want you. Are we a people who seek one thing in our life? Who says, I will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Are we a people of one thing who says, the beauty of God is enough for me. I don't need the cars. I don't need the clothes. I don't need the house. I don't need the gimmicks in the games. from visitation to habitation I'm going there I don't know who's coming with me but I'm going to habitation I'm going to one thing I will not stop I will not give in and so I want to invite you up here in these altars to seek the Lord if you want to be a people of one thing I invite you to, to evaluate your life before the Lord this morning in and out of the house of God? Am I stuck in the outer courts? Am I coming to God for something that I can gain? And that we would all ultimately be up here because we just want to be people of one thing of beholding His beauty.